First Corinthians chapter 10. Give now your attention to the reading of the word of the Lord. His word is faithful and true. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 17. No, verse 31. 1031. Hear now the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, now to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Spirit, be with us now as we consider what it means to live in gratitude to and for your glory. Lord, help us to have minds that understand, uh, ears that hear, hearts that believe, and hands and feet, Lord, that obey. Give us grace, Lord. I decrease as you may increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be Amen. seated. Well, saints, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath. Uh, Lord willing, we will begin our worship through St. Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth in the month of February. Uh, for now, a few weeks ago, we heard from Christ in the sermon, Why Did God Become Man? In that sermon, we considered, as we heard from Christ, the question posed to St. Anselm from Bazo in the book, Curdeus Homo, Why Did God Become Man? The question that we considered was asked by Bazo, What debt do we owe to God? What debt do we owe to God? The answer from St. Anselm was to subject every wish to his will. What do we owe to God, saints? The answer, absolutely everything. What do we owe to God? The answer, absolutely everything. Well, what do we mean by everything? Every thought, every action, every desire, every pursuit, every word, everything is owed to God without remainder. Everything. Everything is to be done in some shape or fashion for the glory of God in a debt of gratitude to him. If you want a title for the sermon or if you're looking for the main point, all things for the glory of God in debt of gratitude to him. All things for the glory of God in debt of gratitude to him. Saints, we are commanded by God to do all things for his glory as a particular response of gratitude to him. St. Paul, moved by the Spirit of God, commands in 1 Corinthians that our eating and even our drinking must be done to the glory of God. How do we do that? In Colossians 3, Paul is moved by the Spirit to command the church that whatever we do, he goes so far as to say, whatever words we speak and whatever deeds we perform, the church is to perform them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with a certain kind of thanksgiving or gratitude to him, to God. That there is giving glory to God in our lives that emanates from a particular response of gratitude to God. So then, from what we eat and drink, uh, to the words that we say and the deeds that we perform, all this to be done in gratitude to the one who is working to change us, and we are to do this with a heartfelt desire to have him exalted in all that we do. Saints, are all of your deeds performed in a manner that you hope exalts God? Are all of your words spoken in a manner in which you hope God is exalted? 
Are you seeking to exalt God in all of these things? Paul even goes as far as to say, even in, even in how you eat, even in what you drink, we'll get to the context of that later, but for now we're going to rip that out of its context and use it for just glorifying God and magna, and, and gratitude to Him. I think it's fair that we must ask the question, why must I live this way? Why must I, why must we live in gratitude to the glory of God or glorify God in gratitude? You can go both ways with that. The answer was given a few weeks ago in the sermon. Why did God become man? The answer is very simple because God is good and we owe him. Very simply, why should I live this way? Because God is good and we owe him. Well, let's consider first why God is good. And, and let me say, and we're doing this again. Why should we consider, why should, let us consider the goodness of God, why he is good, and we're doing this again. God is the very essence of goodness. He is one with his essence. God is absolutely goodness with no lack. We don't really understand that. We can be good from time to time, but we are not goodness itself. We show goodness from time to time. But we are not, in fact, goodness itself. God is absolute goodness. God is goodness, and goodness is God. God is not good, saints, sometimes. God is good all the time. Because he is, in fact, goodness itself. God is good because he is absolute goodness itself. Uh, he does not keep his... And the way he shows how good he is, is that he also does not keep his goodness to himself. But shares his goodness, watch this, through creation and for creation. Um, you'll, you will now be familiar with the quote from St. Saint Aquinas by now, and it is this. It belongs to the essence of goodness to communicate itself to others. It's what goodness does. Goodness shares. Goodness does not withhold goodness. It doesn't keep, it, it doesn't keep goodness to itself, but because it is good, it shares that goodness with others. Um, for someone to withhold goodness, that is in fact not goodness. To someone to keep goodness to itself, that is in fact not goodness. But the essence of goodness shares goodness. Goodness does not isolate itself. Goodness does not distance itself as to withhold its goods from others. Rather, goodness opens up itself to others to give of itself to others. Goodness shares. We use the example of food. When you find a good restaurant, you want to share the goodness of that restaurant with others. You've got to try this food. We did a job this past week. And at the end of our job, uh, the customer came and gave us a, a whole bunch of almonds and pistachios, which I am going to. He shared his goodness with us, and I'm going to share that goodness with you. Um, it would not be goodness of me to go, these are all mine. Right? God is good, and he has not withheld his goodness from his people. God pours, now how has he done this? God pours out his goodness, watch this, through creation. He creates and his creating is a way to share his goodness i say through creation and not to creation because through comes first and then to comes next through is by first creating then to is what what creation enjoys as a result of god creating it right god was under watch this he shares first through creating and god was under no obligation to create he did not have to create, and yet God did create. God was not in need of creating. Uh, God did not need to create in order to fulfill something lacking in him that would be com compensated by creation. I hope that, that it makes sense. What we're saying is God is all that he is. He lacks nothing. He is pure act. Nothing gives to God as to complete him, and yet he still creates. Why? Why? Because he's good. 
he's sharing goodness. Because God is good, he both shares his goodness and then reveals his goodness through the creation of all things. He calls those things that were not as though they were, that is all creation, and in doing so, he shares his goodness with creation. That, that God is good. At the conclusion of each day, God tells us in Genesis 1 that he observes the, the work of his creation and declares it is good. Creation is good because it is a manifestation of God's goodness that he has not kept to himself. What is more, God has revealed his goodness to creation. Now, how has he done this? He creates, but does not create without order. God shows his goodness to creation by creating, by creation being orderly. Creation, the world, all things are not in chaos. There is order to all things. That means that life is not meaningless. That because there is order to all things, God has created all things with a particular purpose. He shows his goodness to creation by creating all things orderly. He has made all things also with a kind of dignity and honor that reveals his own honor. The Lord reveals his goodness that he gives, um, reveals his goodness and that he gives dignity to the stars. There's a certain dignity that the stars have as they shine, as he gives, as he gives them light to shine in the darkness. God shows us a, a kind of dignity that belongs to the sun and that he gives it its heat. He reveals that he is good when he waters the earth from the heavens. Even to the tiniest blade of grass, God reveals his goodness and dignity that he has given to creation. If, he, if, if creation did not have a certain kind of dignity, God would not give to it. God would not provide for it. He gives to the sparrow of the field and to the lily of the valley. He shows that they are of worth. God shares his goodness, though, in an, in an even grand manner. When he creates man. God has made man. We have not made ourselves. We have, we've also not been made for ourselves. God has shaped us. God has fashioned us. God has breathed into man the breath of life. And he gives to man a particular kind of dignity that, that is different, uniquely different from all the other creatures or all other things in creation. God has made man uniquely in his image and in his likeness. Uh, dear ones, from the youngest to the oldest here, you are made in the image and likeness of God. And I don't need to explain all the ways in which you are different from all other species, but you are most uniquely made in the image of God, God has given to you a reasonable soul. Man has been made in such a way, young one, older one, God has made you in such a way that you can reach out to your creator and you can know him uniquely. God has made you in such a way that you can have a unique intimacy with him, fellowship with him, that you can love him, that you can understand him, that you can grow in your knowledge of him. God has done that out of his goodness. Man shares a particular kind of, of fellowship and intimacy with God that other species do not. Which means then that our lives consist of more than just being born, finding a place to graze, having offspring, and then dying. No, God has shared his goodness with us, that he's made us in his image and likeness. Saints, God could have eternally willed not to create us. You and I could not be here, actually. But as it is, God has eternally willed to create, and he is eternally willed to create you in his image. Brothers and sisters, you could have been a tumbleweed. I was thinking of, of the most insignificant things as I was studying. I could have been a tumbleweed. Whenever we were lazy around the house uh, growing up, my parents would say, you're just sitting there like a bump on a log. Saints, you could have been a bump on a log. God made you something greater than a bump on a log. Yes, and greater than a tumbleweed. You could have been something else. You could have been anything else. And yet God made you who you are. I would say then that we owe God. I'm going to say that we owe God a certain kind of gratitude then. Not only has God made us in his image, but again, 
He has made us in such a way that we could actually know him in a way that no other species, I don't care how smart they say orangutans are, they can't know God the way you know God. They cannot interact with, this, with the, their creator the way you and I can. And also, in this interaction, in this fellowship, find our greatest joy and satisfaction in him. What is owed to God? The answer? To subject every wish to his will. What do we owe God? I'll say it again. Absolutely everything. Every thought, every action, every desire, every, every pursuit, every word, everything is owed to God without remainder. Everything is owed to God in some shape or fashion, and everything is to be done to the glory of God, listen to this, in debt of gratitude to him. We learned of a debt of honor a few weeks ago. More appropriately, it is a debt of satisfaction, a debt of satisfaction that we owe to God. The debt of satisfaction is this. It's perfect love and obedience to God who has given to us all things. In return, we were created to give all of ourselves to him. Every thought, every action, every desire, every pursuit, every word back to God in love and obedience. We fail to do that. Um, all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. Or we fail to give God what we owed him, what is due to him, incurring a debt that we were unable to pay. We sinned against an infinitely holy God and only an infinitely perfect life could pay the debt of gratitude or satisfaction, I should say, that we owe God. Honor. And now it's a debt of satisfaction. We learned that this debt of satisfaction was paid by the Deus Homo, the Lord Jesus Christ. God became man. I said a few weeks ago, don't get tired of hearing that. God became man. God became man. God became man. When you are wrestling with anything you are wrestling with, walk around your house, walk around your mind and say, God became man. God became man. And this God becoming man, in God becoming man, it is the highest unveiling of the goodness of God. God making you is a grand manifestation of the goodness of God. God becoming man is the highest manifestation of God's goodness. God making you is God showing his goodness in a grand manner. God becoming man is God revealing his goodness in the grandest of manners. Why did God become man? Well, we've already answered the question because it is the essence of goodness to share itself with others. Because God did not keep goodness to himself. That's why God did that. When man was most helpless, in his most helpless condition, God did not withhold his goodness, but pours out his goodness in love upon man. God became man. He who is enthroned over all creation wrapped himself in our flesh and walked among men as the God-man. The Lord Jesus Christ. In love to God, Christ offered a perfect life of obedience and a sacrificial death. In victory, Christ rose from the dead. In glory, Christ ascended into heaven. Amen. Jesus paid it all. Yes. Dear ones, yes. what comes next in that song? All to him we owe. We, we like the Jesus paid it all. And kind of gloss over, all to him I owe. Yes. Every thought, every yes. action, every yes. word, every deed, yes. everything without remainder. Amen. Amen. Is there anything that remains now for the sinner to give to God? Is there any balance yet to be paid? In terms of justification, the answer is no. Jesus paid it all. Again, God has revealed his goodness by paying this debt of satisfaction that we owed all that was owed in this debt of satisfaction has been covered by the Lamb of the Lord, Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now there is a glorious new reality for the person who has trusted in the person and work of Christ. For the one who has uh, been given faith, a transformation has taken place. What is that transformation? Second uh, Corinthians five fourteen. For the love of God controls us, having concluded this: that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all. So that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Here's the new, here's the new reality. 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Watch this. The old things have passed away. Behold, it's a proclamation. Behold, the new things have come. Well-known verse, as I, as I said, anyone in Christ, you already knew. Wonderful verse pointing out the, uh, and proclaiming the newness of the one who is found in Christ. You are new in Christ. St. Paul uses strong language to describe the state of the one who has been brought to saving faith. You are new creations. The old things are gone. New things. Behold. What, what old things? Everything about that? You know the verse well. What old things? What new things? Old things, you were alienated from God. Old things, you used to be an Adam. Old things, minds were once polluted. Old things, we once could not properly know God. Old things, our hearts were once corrupted. Old things, we were once unable to properly love God. New things. God has revealed his goodness first by giving to us faith and and removing all of those old things. In Christ, we are no longer alienated. New thing. In Christ, we have peace with God. New thing. In Christ, we're no longer doomed for destruction, but we now have joy. And when we behold God, our joy will be complete. New things. and, And we could spend the rest of our lives considering the new things. We have the mind of Christ. Our hearts can now properly love God. New thing, new thing. What is more, the Lord himself has made his home in us. We who were distant from God, God is now God has now made himself so close to us that he's in us. We are now blessed partakers of the divine nature. We share in the life of God, saints of God. God reveals his goodness and that he is no longer distant from us, but that he is near to you, so near that he is in you. He has mysteriously made his home in you and I. St. Paul again, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but, but Christ who lives not out there in here, in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My brothers and sisters of the faith, the effect of the person and work of Christ is not a destroyed life. It's an elevated life. The fruit of the passion of Christ is that God now lives in us and he is assimilating us to himself. He is making us like him, fitting us for the eternal moment when we will behold him. Saints of God, we will marvel at this Wonderful truth for eternity and even in eternity. Wonder over God's grace and love and mercy to us. Debt of satisfaction has been paid. But now I ask again, is there anything that remains? Is there any debt that remains? As I was preparing this, I said to myself, because I think it's true. We don't like the word debt. And we don't like the word, oh, I don't owe you anything. We love when we go, we're square. We don't, I don't owe you nothing. In Luke's gospel, moved by the Holy Spirit, St. Luke recounts a time when the Lord Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and he passed through a village where there were ten leprous men standing at a distance and they cried out to him in Luke 17, 13, Jesus, uh, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, oh, and praise the Lord. For that beautiful verse. And and when he saw them, he said to them, go. Show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, which means they commanded, as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, saints, here's what's going on. They call out to Christ. They are all using probably different voices. Have mercy on us. Christ looks at them and tells them to go and show themselves to the priest, which means that they are no longer sick. Go show yourself to the priest means go to them and they will examine you and see that there is no longer leprosy on you. Go. And as they go, they are walking and they realize that they are healed. Now, one of them, 
when he saw that he had been healed, and you imagine they're walking, they're looking at their skin, and they realize that they're healed. Some run to the priest, but there's one who turns back and runs to the great high priest. And when he does, he's not quiet. Instead, he is turning back to Christ, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he's not just glorifying, it's not enough for him. When he gets to the great high priest, he falls on his face at his feet, thanking him. And then St. Luke adds, and he was a Samaritan. These men, having received amazing mercy from God, these men who were old, alienated, old, exiled, old, unable to come near to the temple to worship, old, unable to come near to the people of God, have now been made new. But Christ, as Christ reveals his goodness to them, but out of the ten, only one, one who was made new, one who no longer had leprosy, has an especially remarkable response. He's not alone. They all know that they've been healed. He's not alone in his recognition that he's been healed, but he's alone in his gratitude to the one who healed him. Not alone in that he knows, but alone in that he gives glory to God. When he saw that he had been healed, he repented. Where does the Bible say that? Well, we know that the word repent means to turn. Now, we know this usually has to do with spiritually turning from sin. But this man, and and, and Luke does this purposely, he uses a comma. He sees that he's healed, and then he turns back, comma. And then he gives glory to God, comma. And then he comes to the feet of Jesus, comma. And then he gives him praise and thanks him. It seems to be like this is the modus operandi of the person who has been brought from death to life. But they turned. They turn and he turns back to Christ and he falls on his face and he gives glory to God. And can you imagine the words he says? St. Saint, Saint Luke says he thanks him. But can you imagine the, the words of thanksgiving that this man has shared? Thank you. Uh, thank you. I could never repay you. The, the years that I have suffered, the faces that would not even look at me, but you stopped. You didn't. Your face was not far from me. You didn't pass me by. Mm-hmm. Brothers and sisters, do you know that kind of gratitude? Do you know the kind of gratitude for a, a debt of satisfaction that has been paid by the Lord of glory for you? We may not have had leprosy on our skin, but we had leprosy covering our souls. And the Lord did not pass you by. Amen. When others could not stand the side of you, Christ turned his gaze of love, love toward you. When you couldn't even stand the side of yourself, Christ takes hold of our face and fixes it upon his face and shows us his love and his friendship. There's something that amazes the Lord here. Here's what it is. The man comes back, does all the things that he does, and here's the question the Lord asks the man. Weren't there ten of you? The nine, where are they? Simple question, where's the rest of y'all? Listen to the Lord's, how the Lord elaborates. Was no one found who returned to give glory to God? Listen to this, except this born? Except this one? Where's my gratitude, the Lord says? Where's my thank you? These ten owed Christ. The one who, don't you, sometimes you open the door for people when, when they're going in. Don't you sometimes just, just want to thank you? You know that you're doing it. They know you're doing it. And, and don't you just want, sometimes you leave, you're welcome, right? We'll do that because we know it's a simple gesture. You're welcome. There's my, the Lord is saying, where's my thank you? You owe me. I didn't have to do this. I could have let the door fall on your face. I could have let it slam on you. I could have opened it and quickly shut it so that you have to open it all by yourself. Where's my thank you? You can tell that it kind of irks me a lot, right? <laughs> Is he simply saying, come back and say thank you? It is what the man did. 
The man turned to Christ, gave glory to God, which is giving glory to Christ, and, and does so by falling at his feet. The debt of satisfaction has been paid, but there remains a debt of gratitude, which is, here it is now, whatever you do now, eating, drinking, word, deed, do it all to the glory of God. What is owed to God? Well, who is he? What has he done? What is owed to God and why? Because he's good. How has he shown this? He has made us and rescued us from the dominion of darkness, transferring us into his marvelous life through the person and work of Christ, Jesus. He's, a, he's assumed our flesh to heal our flesh. He's purchased us with his own blood. Therefore, Paul would say, I'm no longer my own. What then is owed to God? Here it is again. Absolutely everything. What does it mean to give absolutely everything in gratitude to God? It is to live quorum Deo, that is to live before the face of God, or like the, Samarit the former Samaritan leper at the feet of Christ. Next week we are going to, by the grace of God, consider what it means to live before the face of God, but it is turning to Christ and in Christ giving all of yourself to Christ. Today, what does it mean to live to the glory of God in gratitude to him? For his absolute goodness that he has shared with you by making us one with him in Christ. St. Paul mentioned eating, drinking, speaking, actions are to be performed to the glory of God. Saints, that is absolutely everything. But let's consider just four briefly, very briefly, and then we'll close. Four areas that I would like us, by the grace of God, to examine ourselves in. Are we living in these four areas to the glory of God in gratitude to him? Number one, in worship. Uh, I put in my notes, examination time. God help us. God help us to be honest with ourselves. In is our these are questions you answer. May God give you grace to answer truly. Is our worship, is your worship offered in gratitude to God to the glory of God for his goodness? Well, let's let's elaborate. <clears throat> if you were with us during our prayer service, then you will remember that living to the glory of God is it's doing all things well. It's doing all things well. To the best of your, of, of, of your ability, doing all things well. And it, it is an act of gratitude toward God who has shined his light upon us in his goodness. Um, I, I picked up my clothes from the cleaners yesterday and the man who cleans my clothes is a Hindu. And as he was working, he does fabulous work. He, um, on, uh, co coffee, coffee and meaning. Best work. He says to me, I do work like this because it is an, he's a Hindu. I do work like this because it is an act of honor to my God. I said, interesting. <laughs> I agree with you. That's how we should live. With that in mind, let's examine ourselves. Let's begin with our preparation for worship. Are we preparing to come and meet with God. The things that need to be done in order to get yourself ready to come to worship, are they being done? Last minute? Or are you anticipating the time of worship so much so that you are ready to go? Are you rested? Are, are you sleeping well the night before? Are you ready? Are you anticipating? Are we actually then meeting with God? Not just preparing but are we actually coming to meet with God? Listen, we're doing all things well. Are we not forsaking the gathering of the saints who are gathering to meet with God? We meet with each other to meet with God. Are we doing these things to the best of our ability in gratitude to God for his glory? We owe him. We, we've already established that. This should be a, we owe him a debt of gratitude. Are we doing all things well? Are we joyfully hollowing this day? Is this day set apart? Uh, are we not turning our foot to the world on this day? Does this day belong to God? Are we as the former leper turning to God with thanksgiving on our lips from our hearts expressed in our actions? We could say, yes, I am thankful. But are words enough? Because the leper could have said, Woohoo, I'm healed. Praise the Lord and kept going. But instead, further action poured out of him, came out of him. He ran back to the Lord, glorifying God, fell on his feet before the feet of the Lord. And thanked him and thanked him and thanked him. Amen. 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 
if if words were enough, then Paul would have said, glorify him with your words. But as it is, Paul said, your words and your deeds. The Lord Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because their words did not match their distant hearts. They, these people honor me with their lips, the prophet Isaiah would say, but their hearts are far from me. When we gather for worship, are you attending the means of grace with both faith and gratitude? Do you believe the word as it is being preached? Grace is being offered in prayer. Grace is being offered in the word, in the sacraments. Are you cooperating with that grace? Are, meaning this, are you yielding to the work of God that's right now taking place? Or are you resisting it saying, nope, not for me. I don't want to hear this. Is your worship being offered not to pay a debt of satisfaction, pay, but a debt of gratitude you still owe? What is that? A life offered to God, a, a living sacrifice offered to God for the one who is good and in his goodness has brought you from death to life. You owe him an offering and not just an offering, dear one, a joyful offering, a joyful offering. Is it hot in here? Okay. A joyful offering. Our worship, saints of God, is to be a kind of this, a kind of speak, Lord, your servant is listening manner. When we are gathering right now, when the word of God is going forth, your posture, your your disposition is to be kind of is to be like this. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Why would I have that kind of attitude? Because I owe him Amen. whatever you want me to do. Imagine if uh, if if the Lord told the person who was healed of his leprosy, now stand up and I want you to go run around the block a few times. I'll be right back. <laughs> Anything the Lord would have said to him, he would have done. How much more we? It is not allowing the songs that you know to be sung as if, as if they're no longer true. The sermons that you hear as though they're not from a man, they're from God. The prayers that you pray as though they are in fact being heard by God. Amen. The supper that you take as though you are actually sharing a meal with Christ and that he is actually changing you through these graces. Yes. This is living to the glory of God in worship. Yes. What about after? Are your conversations with the saints, are they edifying? Are you obeying the many commands of scripture that instruct us in our conduct when we gather? Are you loving one another? Are you here long enough to be loved? Are you building one another up in love and faith? Are you willing to correct one another? Are, are we providing for the needs of one another? Is there any good that we are, is there any good that we are withholding from one another when we gather? If you see someone who could benefit from a brother, good to see you. I'm so blessed that you're here. And you withhold that from them. You are withholding goods from them that God did not withhold from you. Are we doing all things well? As we have been empowered to do, or are we resisting what has been provided for us? Now take this home. Are we living at home to the glory of God in gratitude to God? Let's just deal with the basic. Are we utilizing time with prudence? Are we being wise with our time, which is a gift from God, or is time being wasted? What's a good use of your time? Saints of God, God has made us and God is right now keeping us alive. If God is giving me time and God is preserving me, keeping me alive, that I live and move and have my being in him, what should I do with the time that he is allowing me to have? I should utilize it wisely, shouldn't I? Christ uses that in all of the, in, in many parables about what people do with what's given to them and how they will be held accountable for the way in which they unwisely used what was given to them. You're being sustained for a purpose. You're not just going through life meaninglessly. We're not atheist saints. We're Christians. We believe that God has made all things orderly and that he has given you purpose in that order. 
We are to take advantage of these graces, to take these graces that God has given to us now in worship and apply them to our daily lives as we continue to operate Coram Deo before the face of God. Is what we hear, what we read, what we give our time to, is it honoring to God? Uh, Paul says, don't waste your time with, with meaningless debates. Don't waste your time um, running through genealogies. Paul says this, it's a waste of your time. I couldn't be investing my time in something more profitable for my soul. Ask yourself about your time. You're, you're doing it. Is this the best that I can offer to God with my time? And a constant evaluation of that is how we live to the glory of God. Could this be better? Could I, could I do things more? This is a bad, bad phrase. Can I do things more well? What about with our families? Husbands, are you loving your wives in a manner that glorifies God? I love this, and I was going to say it to my wife, but I know she would say yes. And I don't mean this arrogantly. I mean this because I, by the grace of God, do this. Will she say about you, my husband shepherds our family well? Or this, is she proud? I love that. Is she proud of the way you follow Christ? And call her to follow Christ with you. Husbands, don't you want your wives to say that about you? I am proud of the way my husband follows Christ. And calls me to follow Christ with him. It's what you're supposed to do. Men, you've been charged by God to ready your wives to be presented to God. You are charged by God to ready your wives to be presented to God. Paul strengthens the argument by pointing to our bodies and says, no one ever hates his own body. We feed our body. We cherish our body. Are you doing that with your wife? Because she is bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. In the wedding, you have vowed to cherish her. They've taken that word from Paul, cherishing the body. Paul says, if you honor God, if you love God, if you want to glorify God, then you cherish your body. Who is my body? My wife. Don't treat your own body better than you treat your own wife. Paul equates cherishing to the glory of God as men loving their wives. And the chief way that is shown is by leading her to Christ. And as you do, walking with her as you walk with Christ until she is presented to her great bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, present her to Christ. Men, may I say to you, as one of you, what a responsibility and what an amazing honor. What an amazing honor. Christ, you're entrusting me with her to bring her to you. Well, thank you, Lord, that you would trust me to take her hand and walk her to you. Oh, Men, do not take that for granted. Bring her to Christ. Bring her to Christ. Walk with her. Open the word with her. Have conversations with her. Listen, she's not at your level. You're not at her level. You're not going to be, but you're walking on the same road. Amen. We're not walking different paths. We're all on the same path. Walk with her. Be gentle toward her. Be patient with her. Cherish her. Be an example of Christ to her. Single men, this does not exclude you. Paul says that you have also great privilege. That if you have no wife, you can now share that with the, the wife of Christ, the church. If you have no wife, then you give that kind of love and devotion, that kind of care to the church. You have an honor. You have a responsibility. Women, are you submitting to the leadership of your husband? Are you praying for him? Oh, we need your prayers. Are you encouraging him? We need your encouragement. Are you fulfilling your role as helpmate? Walking alongside of him and encouraging him. Not poking at him. Not provoking him. Lovingly encouraging him. It is your God-given responsibility. And yes, sisters, it is your great honor. Sisters, you have been charged by God to help that man help you 
take him, both of you, to Christ. Your submission and your help is living to the glory of God in gratitude. If you're single, same thing as with the men. You give that devotion to the church. How can I bless the church? That's living to the glory of God. Are you speaking to your children with love and compassion? Are you patient with them? Do they know your rod just as well as they know your staff? Do they hear the voice of discipline more than the voice of love? I pray more the voice of love than the voice of discipline. This is living to the glory of God. Go to work now. Are you living to the glory of God? Is your speech and your conduct consistent with your confession? They know you're a Christian. Are you talking like one? Are you acting like one? Do you submit yourselves to God as you drive? Do you submit yourselves to God when you interact with your co-workers? When you are working among the unbelievers? Can they say about you that you are a respectable man? That you are a respectable woman? St. Peter commands, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Let it be excellent among the Gentiles. As they observe, he says, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. Living to the glory of God. Well, we may say that we, we hear all these things and we may go, Pastor, I know. I, good reminder. Let's follow up with that, though. I, I think that's, that's, that's weak. I know. Good reminder. Stop that. Are we actively seeking? I'm not saying that I don't appreciate your reminders. I'm talking about this part. Are we actively seeking... The Lord to be excellent in all manners of our lives. Are we actively seeking right now, not content, but actively seeking to be better, to be more excellent in every manner of our lives? Or are we resisting his grace? If we say that we know and we continue to disobey saints of God, that is sin. James 4.17, therefore, to the one who knows what is right, the right thing to do and does not do it. That is sin. We cannot, we must not as Christians know what is good and refuse it. Ever know what is good and refuse it. Especially if we are like, I don't like being told what to do. You're being told what to do right now. And because we are being told what to do, we say, well, I'm not going to do it because you told me to do it. But it's good. I'll do it on my own terms. That's sin. Not only that, if the Holy Spirit is confronting us with the facts that these things are from God and we refuse it, knowing that they are true, we refuse God, not a man. Let's make it easy. When we know what is good and we refuse it, if we are truly saved, it's pride, which is sin, and it must be put to death. When we know what is good, this is why some kids are, are it takes them so long to, to mature because they, they don't have parents who will simply tell them this is right and you do it because it's right. Parents are sometimes afraid to confront their children on things that are right. And so they allow their kids to make decisions when it's when it's best for them. No. God is our heavenly father. He has given to us his word. We must obey it. There was a saint recently who said to me, um, yes, our church knows that there's some things that we need to do, but we need to work toward doing it. I said to him, when your children are have a dirty room and you say to them, clean up your room, will you allow them to say, I'm working toward it? Give me a little time. Be patient with me. I'll, I'll get to it. He laughed at me because he knew the answer was absolutely not. When you know what is good and you don't do it, it is sin. It is rebellion. If you are in Christ, let me say this. Whatever the reason for our pride that seeks to refuse the will of God or cooperate with the grace of God, it doesn't matter. We might say, well, here's the reason why I won't. If you're in Christ, no excuse suffices. No excuse is good enough for refusing to obey the command of God. What excuse? I'm still a sinner. No, you're not. I had a rough childhood. Join the club. I don't know how. You've been empowered. Read the word. Obey it. I'm not smart enough. You have a new mind. I'm not a touchy-feely person. You have a new heart. I'm not a people person. 
You've been brought into a family of God. God has grafted you in. Do you think that God doesn't know what he's doing? You don't know what kind of man or woman she is. Don't you remember what kind of man or woman you used to be? We can go on and on. Excuses like noses. Everyone has one, but none of them are good enough. Because God lives in you. Therefore, the power of God dwells within you. He is currently in you, changing you. He, he's offering grace to change you, and we must not resist that grace. Amen. It's when you have, you're faced with two decisions, and you go, ah, the, the flesh is telling me this, but I know I should do the right thing. Then do the right thing. And when you do, that's called cooperating with the grace of God. Before, that option, that door wasn't there, but now it's open. It's not just open, it's wide open. And on this side, there's a little tiny crack. And we go, push that door all the way open. I say to my son, don't make your life hard. It's easy. Make the easy choice. Make the easy choice. This is the easy choice. It's been, in, God has given you power to choose it. God is working in you. This is why you're agreeing with what I'm saying right now. Now God give me the grace to live it. And he has. And he will continue. Live for his glory. Do all things well. Be holy as he is holy. Live for him. Offer to him what you owe. A debt of gratitude. Daily. You're not helpless. The helper lives within you. You're not weak to the world. Greater is he who lives in you than he who is in the world. You are not defeated. Christ has overcome. Therefore, you are an overcomer. You, the scripture actually says you are overwhelmingly more than conquerors through him who loved us, Romans 8. God has not called you out of darkness so that you can only say that you live in the light. God has called us to live in the light. To live. And it is a good life that we live, saints got a good life it is not a drag our worship is not a drag it's not uneventful it's the best life it is the only life Amen. and we are called to live it with a kind of gratitude that reaches out to every area of our lives so much so that when someone sees how you live and how you conduct yourself they're going to say hey what, what is this Explain to me, what, 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 why don't you talk like all of us? Why don't you act like all of us? And then that you would be ready to give a reason for the hope that lives within you. Live every moment better. Ask God, help me to be better. Help me to be more excellent. I want to be better, to love better, to love them better, to love her better, to love him better, to share my goods, to share the goods that I know I have with others rather than keeping them to myself. Help me, Lord, to cooperate with the grace that you've given to me. Help me to live in gratitude for your glory, for your praise, and for your honor. We've been purchased by Christ. So give him the life you owe him. Let's pray.